Hi everyone and welcome to the Say As It Is with Pete podcast series. I'm Pete, your host, and each week I will bring you some frank and honest conversations covering various topics from learning and development, friendships, funding, HR, strengths, recruitment, ESG, well-being, ED&I, employability, and much, much more. So let's get this week's episode underway and say as it is. Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of Say As It Is With Pete and as promised, as it is National Apprenticeship Week 2024, uh, today is the second day of National Apprenticeship Week. So yesterday we celebrated all things apprenticeships and the launch of National Apprenticeship Week 2024 which is the 17th annual celebration. Um, and as I said, along with the themes for this week, today is Employer Day. So what is Employer Day? Well, Employer Day, uh, defined by National Apprenticeship, is a chance for employers to showcase what makes a great employer and display the range of apprenticeship options available from them. So this is where employers will showcase the different apprenticeships they've got, the different, hopefully the different career pathways, um, you know, and show that there is different apprenticeships within their sectors. Now, I have worked in many different sectors being a or coming from a training provider background. So I've delivered in uh, I've delivered for government. I've delivered for retail. I've delivered for hospitality. I've delivered management qualifications. Um, I've delivered in the corporate industry, the finance industry, um, and there is just a plethora of qualifications out there. And today is the day where employers can showcase that. Um, and again, it will be great to see using the hashtags, um, hashtag uh, NAW2024, sorry, I had to think then, um, and then hashtag skills for life, because the theme for this year is skills for life. Um, we've had other themes like build the future um, before and skills for life has kind of been the trending hashtag along the um, national apprenticeship uh, 2024 hashtag. So just keep following those on social media because you'll see some interesting things. And I'm quite interested to see what employers are doing again this year. Uh, some do the same run of the mill, some do different. I'm seeing a lot of videos and infographics this year. Um, so that's good to see, uh, because people are showing their success and what they offer, how many apprentices they've had. Um, and that's a good thing. So really the first two days are heavily around the employer. Um, but it should be showcasing your apprenticeship options today. But as I said, I am going to put a complete twist on the, um, employer day in this podcast. As I say, this is a frank and honest conversation around apprenticeships um, and I'm just going to say as it is because that's the theme of this podcast and have those frank and honest conversations and I'm going to go through some more really um, some advice and guidance and tips and some frank and honest um, openness around apprenticeships for employers that employers should be aware of um, and some key things that employers can take note of in regards to that. So one thing that I will say is that employers need to be making sure that they are not um, app washing or um, skill washing. And what I mean by that is very similar to greenwashing, um, which is to do with the environment, to say that you do it, but you don't. Um, and you have all these wonderful things in place, but you don't do it. You just do it for show. And it's a bit like pink washing. Like you say you're for LGBTQ plus IA rights and that you support them and you do all these things in the workplace but realistically, you don't. Um, and that's known as pinkwashing. Um, so you've got greenwashing, you've got pinkwashing. Um, and now I'm coining the phrases app washing for apprenticeship washing or um, skill washing, which is basically saying, we do this, look how amazing we are, but actually, scratch beneath the surface, you don't. So, you know, it's great to say if you do it, but if you do it, or if you say you do it, then do it. So, you know, it, it's key and fundamental that you really kind of, um, you know, make sure you're showing what you do as an employer in those career pathways. 
because it's very easy to say, oh, we offer this qualification. Oh, we offer that qualification. Um, join us as um, a you know data entry clerk and you could be doing this apprenticeship um, or join us for this apprenticeship. Um, you know, you know, join us as an apprentice and you can start your journey, but it never happens that way. So employers, be mindful and be very clear that you're not skill washing or app washing. You're actually doing what you say you're doing. Okay. Now, some of the things that I think employers should also know is that when you are looking at apprenticeships, um, there are different things to consider. For example, there was recently a post um, on National Apprenticeship Week on Monday um, that was by MTD Training. And I commented on it and I fully agree. And these are very similar to the six kind of steps or pillars that I always follow when creating and building apprenticeship programs within the organization I work for. Or as I also have creativemind.zone, I also provide an apprenticeship advisory service um, supporting employers, large and small, in um, building and embedding apprenticeships within their organization if they don't already do so, and providing advice and guidance on that. Um, so if you are an employer that exists and currently don't have apprenticeships within your organization or you don't know where to start, then reach out to me, Pete at creativemind.zone, and I'm more than happy to have those uh, consultancy conversations with you and point you and get you in the right direction. But those six pillars um, or six steps that are covered are one, a customized content, um, you know, and it's always important to have a customized content, make it relevant to the company, make it relevant to the role itself. Number two, tailored curriculum. One of the things that I always find is that providers will come to you and say, well, this is our curriculum, this is the delivery plan, that's how it's delivered. No, as employers, the apprenticeship is designed around you and your company. And I think this sometimes gets missed because employers think, oh, the trading providers are there, they do it. And they will follow their own plan. They have their own delivery plan, their own curriculums, and that's what they'll deliver. But actually, how tailored is it to your organization? And that's one of the things that I do within the organization I work for is I make sure that if I'm looking at any qualification or curriculum, and make sure that it's tailored to my business and the needs of the business. Also look at individual mentoring as well. And I think that's key for apprentices is letting them have access to mentors. Now there is a great mentorship program, which I will plug here because I am a, a mentor for them, but a Tolo mentoring is for, especially hospitality is great because it gives individuals a chance to link in with mentors within industry uh, to gain some amazing insights and support. And mentoring should be part of anything, mentoring or coaching. And the two are very different, okay? The two terms are very, very different. But mentors, I think, are great. Now, if you have um, mentors that you can create and you can build a mentor uh, or a mentoring ship program within your organization then again i can help you build one of those um but if you have a kind of mentor program within your organization that they are willing to take a couple of a couple of people they can spend some time with them every month you record it they provide support it kind of gives that extra support to that apprentice from having a mentor so yes they have their live manager um Yes, they have their apprenticeship tutor. Um, you know, yes, they have their functional skills tutor if it's provided. But actually, do they have an industry expert that they can go to and talk to um, and gain some real clear insights? Probably not. Um, and, you know, a Tolo is great because a Tolo can help, you know, link people in with apprenticeship, with, uh, with different people within the hospitality sector at all levels. Um, and there are some amazing mentors and I've met quite a few. Um, or you can, um, you know, or, or, or a Tolo can help you build a mentoring program within your organization as, as well as something that I can support with. But also what you'll find is a Tolo have a whole link of, um, you know, 
a network of of mentors across the country um in 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 the hospitality sector which is amazing and a lot of companies are using them and it's great to see um and they're going from from when i've seen them start to where they are now they're amazing so yes plug to Atollo there for mentorship mentorship programs um, but also Pushfar now Pushfar is the mentoring platform that they use but Pushfar also offers a uh, mentoring package as well where it can link people into um, various people all around the world that's another avenue to follow but let's not get bogged down by mental or, or individual mentoring as I said um, I'll put a link to Otolo, but also you can reach out to me and have a conversation around uh, how to start creating a mentoring program within your organization. Now, number four, practical experience. This is all hands on. So in some of the apprenticeships, what people are learning, they need to put into practice. Um, and an apprenticeship is built up of knowledge, skills and behaviors. So kind of, you know, you've got to know it to show it or show it and know it. So I think some people do some units within the qualification, but they don't necessarily do it day to day. So a good thing is, is to give that hands on experience. And that kind of ties nicely in with kind of the off the job hours, which I will come on to shortly in this episode and talk a little bit more about, but get some, get them to have some practical hands on experience. Now, you can't simulate everything but you know if they have got a unit on chairing meetings you know get them to chair a meeting or get them to you know put a meeting together to chair it about something within their department but give them hands-on experience if they're doing hr for example and they're looking at disciplinaries and grievances you know maybe that they can get involved in that they may not be able to chair the disciplinary meeting but they can do some off-the-job learning around it um, but also they may be able to sit in and take notes within that disciplinary or investigation meeting. Uh, maybe they can shadow some people in HR um, to support them or, you know, sit in on a disciplinary. Um, but also, um, you know, it just gives them that hands-on experience. And I'm going to go on HR a bit because I've got a group of apprentices going through HR level three at the moment, but like tribunals, you can actually go to employment tribunal courts and sit in on a tribunal, um, you know, kind of in the gallery. And that's great experience and kind of hands on experience of people seeing how um, that is kind of a tribunal court is run and how it's handled. And I know that one of uh, the apprentices in the organization I work for currently went on a health and safety tribunal court case. Um, and they all played a part in that and it was very hands-on and she learned a lot from it and she came out there more knowledgeable and understanding of actually yeah she knows the knowledge behind it but actually seeing it and taking part in a you know a practice um you know court case for health and safety was really an eye-opener um luckily we don't go to uh, court on health and safety claims or anything like that which is a good thing touch wood but it's that hands-on experience that the, that the people need. So it's not just all the theory, but it's hands-on. And that's what I love about apprenticeships. And I do miss about kind of the old MVQs and QCFs because it was all that portfolio of evidence. Now it seems to be very much of assignments, assignments, assignments with screenshots or, you know, bits of evidence attached to it to back up to say you can do what you're talking about. Uh, and it all kind of rolls into one. So enough babbling on there. So practical um, experience, yes. Uh, and then flexible learning. So, you know, integrate the apprenticeship within the day-to-day -day operation. Um, you know, there's a, lo a lot of people think, you know, for an apprenticeship, there's so much work to do. And there, don't get me wrong, there is, but it's not as bad as you think. Make it flexible, you know, just kind of, um, you know, build it in to day-to-day. So, for example, um, there are certain times in the hospitality sector for us where it is manic. There's blackout days. And I, and I think the, the partners or providers I work with probably hate me for doing it. But there are certain blackout months where it's a no-go. There are no visits. There are no coming off the floor. The guys are needed on the floor permanently, regardless. And normally that's for like two, three months in the year, maybe four. Uh, but we know when they are because they're seasonal. But 
what the best thing is is you know apprentices we're not we're not blocking it out what we're being flexible and saying listen we can't take people out during that time for for kind of learning but actually you know what you can come on site as the provider and do observations because some of the qualifications do need to have an observation done and an observation is great clear evidence for the portfolio so and generally if you're in an office environment and it's busy um you're going to be generating like for recruiters for example our recruitment department is very busy during the summer season so from kind of june or april kind of may uh, so kind of may june july august september the, those five months they're manically recruiting um so they're generating a lot of evidence uh in that period um so it's great for observations there's lots of evidence that's naturally being created which is fantastic they just need to collect it put it in a folder and then when they see their tutor again go through that uh, and, and give that feedback on on that but as well flexible uh, learning should be able to make sure you're fitting it within the constraints of work but also doesn't hinder the day-to-day -day operations and point six is progress tracking now a lot of employers and sorry i hate to say this employees do they get them on the apprenticeship or people on the apprenticeship and they go yeah great when you finish okay 12 months time fantastic 18 months time brilliant well done you know employers need to get involved you know this yes it's the apprentices progression there are you know six or 12 weekly um review meetings managers should be present on those managers should be present on induction mostly enrollment um but should be present on the induction um which is key and fundamental and then what happens is every six to 12 weeks there's a progress review where the manager should be involved and we all get busy and say oh you know busy can't attend it i've got a meeting these are planned in advance so guys there's no excuse for you not to turn up to progression review and that's a, one of the things that i hated as a tutor is when you've got a progression review booked with the apprentice and the employer or their line manager and their line manager can't be asked to turn up because they're too busy no attend that meeting regardless even if you haven't been able to attend that meeting because of x y or z and it's a dire emergency you have to do something else the progress review will be sent take your time to read it and provide feedback because that feedback is both valuable to the the apprentice and to the provider but also if you're not turning up for the apprentice's reviews what message does that send to the apprentice does it send that you care no does it send that you probably care but don't care mm, possibly but just make sure whatever you do you try and attend those progress reviews but also ask for either a monthly or quarterly uh, progress review from the provider the providers give those out freely and on some of the e-portfolios they have they actually have a progress tracker where you can actually track the progress of your apprentices from where they should be to where they are now and you can go in and you know that's why it's always good to look at those because there may be things where the apprentice is struggling and you may have a mentor that you can link them in with to support them they may need some extra time to do assignments they may be struggling on certain aspects of their apprenticeship which actually you as the employer can support now if you have a really good strong l d team and i'm going to say i'm proud because i head up my l d team I'm very proud of my LND team and we support all our apprentices within the organization I work for. And I think it's key that employers need to be involved. And yes, these six steps are amazing. Love them. They are the base and should be best practice at all times for employers looking at embedding apprenticeships or running apprenticeships in their business and keeping an eye on those. Um, but also, you know, you need senior buy-in from top level down, from the owner to the CEO to the you know the chief operating officers you know to the finance of, uh, operating officer all the way down what i will say as well is when you're building your custom content and curriculum and you're getting your providers uh, to uh, work with you to tailor a qualification and delivery and i always go by this i will never go over provider until i'm happy with the delivery and sometimes that will delay the delivery of an apprenticeship within the organization and frankly i do not care i want quality over quantity 
some providers are very keen to just get people on. You know, we have a delivery. Don't worry. We'll get them through. We'll get them done. Well, no, I'm spending this money. And some apprenticeships you're spending four and a half thousand to twenty one thousand pounds on. This is coming from your levy pot, guys. And if you're an SME, yes, you're only paying 10 percent, but it's still your money. So you've got to make sure that you're investing correctly and that your providers are listening to you at all times because as an employer you are in charge not the provider the provider relies on you to provide them the business because they need the money within their pot and they've got targets to meet like the number of apprentice enrollments um, and every provider works to a, num a set number of enrollments per month and that's what they're aiming for and that's what they're basing their funding and income on so Yes, they're number driven sometimes, but pull them back, pull them to rank. You as the employer have the right to make sure that you have the correct curriculum, the correct content, the correct materials, and that the provider is delivering the apprenticeship to meet your needs in the business. And that also includes if you've done a skills gap and there's certain skills that need to be covered, or enhanced on within the qualification, say, for example, communication, leading teams. Um, you know, it could be on, uh, you know, change management. You know, those are key aspects that you can look in within the framework and get them to build or focus on those elements. And I've done it with our um, recruitment. I've done it with our HR. I've done it with our management apprenticeships that we host in the organization I work for. And there are certain things that are key for us to focus on. And that's what the provider will look at and focus upon. And I always review the content. I always review the curriculum just to make sure that it's it's correct. But also, I think you've, you've got to understand that, you know, as an employer, as always, you're in charge. Now, Along with those kind of six points or six steps, there's some other things as employees that you need to take into consideration. And um, one of those, apart from having all of those six steps, one big thing that will help you drive your apprenticeships, create apprenticeship ambassadors. And I, I use this term apprenticeship ambassador because you've got people that have done apprenticeships in the past, you've got people that are doing apprenticeships and doing really well and are balancing everything out and are, you know, are reaching their milestones and achieving a lot through their apprenticeship. They are the people that will help promote apprenticeships within your organization. They can be the go-to point or apprentice champions um, that can be the go-to point when people are umming and ahhing and unsure about doing an apprenticeship and how it's going to work and what's required, you know, if those people are willing to be ambassadors, then great. Use them. Use them in marketing. Use them to promote apprenticeships in the organization. Use them, uh, you know, get a video of them, you know, saying why apprenticeships work for them, what they learned from it, how they were supported by you as the employer, what um, benefits they got from it. You know, if they've you know been promoted from doing their apprenticeships, um, how they've managed to balance work, life, and apprenticeships all in one. They are your spokespeople. You've already got them in house. Utilize them. Yeah, use them to showcase your apprenticeships. Use them to be your spokespeople. Use them as your apprenticeship ambassadors or your apprenticeship champions. But also, as well as having them, what I tend to do and I recommend this for every employer, is every kind of six months, what you want to do is you want to arrange something called a time to talk. Um, and a time to talk is conducted kind of every six months, um, so twice a year, and that's with current and past apprentices. And then what you do is you get them in um, either virtually via a Teams, Zoom or Skype call or a Google call, um, or you get them face to face. I find that face-to-face -face, you get more from people than you do virtually so yes I know we went through the pandemic everything went virtual and everybody loves virtual even I love virtual sometimes but sometimes a face-to-face -face, you get a lot more out of do like a breakfast meeting or a breakfast session get them in for like 9 30 10 you know have some breakfast with some fruit some croissants some pastries um you know some coffee orange juice 
those kind of things. Make it really like warm and welcoming. Get them down, get some flip chart paper, put it on the tables with some markers. Um, you know, have some pre-made questions if you want on some post-it or some post-it notes or some uh, flashcards. Um, and get them all around a table and get them to talk. And you can have different tables with different questions and they can write all their, you know, their, their, their feedback on their comments. Like, you know, what would you change about the um, nomination process? Um, if there's anything you could change with the apprenticeships, what would you change? Um, you know, if you could get more from the employer to support you for apprenticeship, what would it be? Um, what apprenticeships would you like to see? How a scale of one to 10, how difficult is your apprenticeship or, you know, those kind of questions, but not scale questions, but questions you're going to get feedback from. And the session should last no more than say 90 minutes. So hour and a half uh, to two hours max, no longer than that. You may have uh, and, and kind of move them around or set uh, a number of questions, um, you know, and then every so many minutes, um, have it like time, like 10 minutes per question or something, for, or 15 minutes a question, they can write their answers. And then the best thing to do is then take that feedback away. Because yes, you can send out a survey, more cost effective, yeah, possibly, but you want that interaction. You want those apprentices past and current and, you know, to give you their feedback. And that's valuable. You know, are there more benefits you would like to see while doing an apprenticeship? You know, um, how would how would you like your apprenticeship journey to have started better? And this helps you take that feedback, you know, analyze that feedback and make changes accordingly and also provide feedback to the provider if, you know, they're saying that the system that they're accessing their learning from is too difficult that there's not enough regular visits from their tutor or they feel they're not supported enough by the provider you know there's all of that that you can get and, and provide uh, feedback to and it's key and i think you get more face to face than you do remotely or over the phone or via a um, feedback form because people tend to be very you know blunt and simple and don't say a lot so face-to-face -face is better. And when they're all together, it gets more out of them. What I will say is a no-no when you do a time to talk is do not, hate say it, providers, do not invite the provider because it makes it difficult or makes it a challenge to get feedback because the people know the provider's there. They know they're going to be talking about them and making notes about them. And they, they tend to say all the positive things, but never what they really want to say. So do those, do those time to talks um, as they're going to give you some key valued feedback for you to go and look at and analyze and helps you develop and enhance your apprenticeship programs and your offerings and the way that you do things. Um, it's like I say, I can sit and write qualifications and training programs until the cows come home. But unless I sit down with the industry experts for those areas, I don't know if it's going to be beneficial or not. And I want their input. And I want their honest, frank input. So when we have those honest, frank conversations on this podcast, that's what you want to embed in those time to talks is those frank, honest conversations. They can be as open and honest as they want. Yeah, it's a safe space for them. So make sure it is a safe space. So with that as well, what you've got to think about as a um as an employer is a couple of other things as well so you've got to think about funding now when we talk about funding uh, we do have the levy and the levy is for employers with a payroll of over of three million and over and then we have the smes that obviously don't have a payroll that large so they don't have a levy so um they would only pay 10 percent of the overall uh funding for an apprenticeship so um, they only pay 10% of, say, £4,500, and that's all they'd pay. And the 90% would be paid by the government. Um, so perfect, right? It's a small investment, but a good investment. Um, but also sometimes some employers that have a levy that can't spend all their levy, they are able to offer that out to employers 
to take that to support with paying for the full apprenticeship. Um, so that's known as a levy transfer. So and employers can talk, or not employers, but training providers can talk to you more about um, levy transfer. So if you are an SME and you're having that conversation with a provider, what you might want to do is ask them, is there any employees that are, off, that are willing to offer up any of their funding um, to support with their apprenticeships? If not, then the 10% is, is in, in place. But you've got to understand that some providers still do this, um, is that there is this age game. And we shouldn't be discriminative of age, and we shouldn't. And apprenticeships used to be discriminative of age um, because the heavy weight of the funding used to be focused on 16 to 18-year-olds, and then 19 to 24s, and 24 pluses was very limited funding. And then when the levy came in, the age restriction was removed and apprenticeships are open to all, no matter how old you are. But obviously you have to be 16 upwards. So for example, EasyJet have got a lot of cabin crew, as I said in my previous podcast, that are currently in their 50s plus, and they are doing their apprenticeship in um, you know, cabin crew. So that's amazing. So you're never too old to be an apprentice. And you know, Whitbread have some amazing apprentices in their 50s. We've got some apprentices in their 50s, but apprenticeships aren't limited to just 16 to 18 or 19 to 24 or 24 plus. You know, it's open to all. So it doesn't matter how old you are, 16 and above, you're never too old to do an apprenticeship, okay? Now, there is a little bit of a gray area on this. So in England, so your apprenticeship levy is focused for employees in England only, okay? It can only be spent for those in England only. If you've got somebody that is in Scotland, they can access your levy, but they have to spend at least 50% or more time in England. So they're spending 50, 55% of their time in England and the other 45 or 50% in Scotland, they could access the funding but that needs to be evidence and shown to be able to get that. Um, because don't forget, the tutors are gonna be in England, they're not gonna keep going to Scotland to deliver visits, it has to be in England. Um, so there is that, but it's a tricky one and a very gray area and I don't wanna get into it. Um, but Scotland has its own funding, so does Ireland and so does Wales. So in England, there is no age restriction on apprenticeship, so any age can do it from 16 upwards. In Scotland, there is an age restriction as in terms of, um, you know, their focus is the 16 to 18s and kind of the 19 upwards. There are some funding and not. So there may be some funding depending on the qualification and um, the age, but any but you're 10 to 1, you're having to pay a, uh, you know, a fee. So, for example, if you are, if you're 23, um, and you want to do an apprenticeship in Scotland, you are probably going to have to pay probably anything between a thousand to two and a half thousand from the employer to then be able to put them onto their apprenticeship. Bit cheeky when you think that there is all this untold spent levy that is given back to the treasury every year. And some of it is like near enough two billion pounds worth of levy goes back to the treasury every year. So, you know, Scotland has access to all of that money if they wanted to. Uh, to fund all their apprenticeships, but they don't want to do that. They don't want to access that. They want to access some funding, but then they want the employer to pay as well. Not really fair. Wales, completely different, fully funded, but they do have some restrictions, as in uh, for Wales, for example, it's around, uh, you have to have been in, to do an apprenticeship in the role you're in, it's either you have to be in there either six or, or le less than 12 or 12 months or six months. I have to double check. I will find this out for you, but there's a certain time frame that you have to be within your role to be able to qualify for an apprenticeship uh, at, at, in the same kind of job that you're doing. If you're in that position for longer, you can't do a qualification relating to that position, it has to kind of be the next position up or the next level up. So um, there is some funding guidelines on there but i did do an episode on this called funding fair or not and that was on uh, season one episode four so you can go back and listen to funding fair or not for more information on funding um and i will do another update because funding rules change but what i will say to employers is how well do you know the funding rules 
Do you actually know them? Don't think you do. Now, if you're an employer provider, you should know the funding rules because you have to follow them. And that's part of being an employer provider. If you're a training provider, you know you have to follow the, the funding rules. And there are some basic funding rules that employers have to follow. And those are part of the conditions of signing up for the levy when you're paying for it. And I would strongly recommend, and I do this for me and I do it for my L&D team, is I make them read the funding rules um, to understand them from the provider side and from the employer side, just so they know. And that's kind of our Bible and our guidance each year. The funding rules change every year anyway, uh, because new funding year, new funding rules. Some big changes, some minor changes. But head, head over to your internet provider, Google, whoever it may be, search in ESFA funding rules, uh, and it will take you to uh, the gov.uk website, and then you will see fund the current funding rules. You can look at past and present, but you've got to remember something. Funding rules are very tight and restricted. And I hated this as a provider. You have to understand that the funding is based on an educational year. So the funding year for providers or training providers is normally from the uh, 1st of August to the 31st of July. So normally the third, normally July is a big push for providers because they want to get as many completions in as they can to get their funding, get their money and everything. And then August, it all starts again. So you always have the funding rules from, say, August 2022 to July 2023. So 22-23 funding rules. Then you have the 1st of August 2023 to the um, 31st of July 2024. So the 23-24 rules. Now, just because the rules change doesn't mean that if you start an apprenticeship in the 2020, the 20, say if you started an apprenticeship on the uh, 1st of September 2022 and your apprenticeship rolls over into 2020 and doesn't finish until, I don't know, December 2024, it doesn't mean that your funding rules will follow to the new funding rules. It doesn't mean that, you know, you're currently on the 2022 20, 23 funding rules. It doesn't mean that if it goes into 2024, you move to the 23 24. Sounds a bit confusing. But if you're signed up during the 1st of August 2023 to the 31st of July 2024, you will follow the 23-24 funding rules. If your apprenticeship is still running into 2024, you're still stuck on the 22-23 funding rules. A little bit confusing, I know. And if I've bamboozled you, I apologize. But I will go through, uh, you know, it is all explained on season one, episode four. So go and listen to that one. But what I also say as well is just be mindful of those funding rules. And one of the other bits of the funding rules is the off the job, which I'll come to shortly. But one of the other things I will say about um, reading that is making sure you keep copies of the previous funding years um, in case you have apprentices on them. Because if you have an issue of an apprentice, you need to check when they are enrolled and their enrollment will relate to the relevant funding year rules that they were enrolled during. I know that's a bugbearer for providers, but employers, you should know your funding rules. If you don't, why not? Yeah, you should be knowledgeable because it will tell you what you can and can't do with apprenticeships, who's eligible, who's not. And there's a lot of useful information in there. But also one of the things I want to talk about is the apprentice wage and the apprentice wage is key. It's going to currently increase to about £6.44. I mentioned this on the previous episode, and I've also done a episode in season one, which is, is, which is episode three, about the apprentice wage. It is still not fair. And I'm not going to harp on about this because I want you to go back and listen to episode three in season one. But the apprentice wage is ridiculous. And you can pay the apprentice wage for an apprentice aged 16 to 19 in their first year at the current £5.88 rate. And it will go to 6.44 from the 1st of April. I'm going to be honest. If you're an employer and you've got an apprentice on that apprentice wage, shame on you. What the hell are you thinking? With the current cost of living, nobody can live on that. And if you go back to episode three, you'll see that I did an exercise based on the current apprentice wage, the £5.88, um, for the cost of living in London and how ridiculous that is. And I've seen some competitors advertise similar roles that we recruit for in the company I work for 
at the apprentice wage in central London. Oh my God, what are you doing? You're not going to attract anybody. You may be able to upskill your current workforce onto an apprenticeship. Great, because they're on a decent wage. But trying to attract new potential hidden talent into the business at that rate, you, you're cuckoo bananas. You seriously are. You need to wake up and smell that coffee. Um, so this is my advice. If you're going to take an apprentice, do not, regardless that the government have the option to pay it, do not pay the apprentice wage. Pay the national minimum wage. That's currently uh, £10 something at the moment, but it's going to go up to 11, uh, 11.44 from the 1st of April. So pay that. But make it a little bit more attractive. If you can, pay 11.75 an hour. You know, if you've got some people in the business that are paid, you know, 12, 13 pounds, that's great. It's not a problem. Because if you pay the apprentice 11.75, you can say, well, that's what you get paid for your apprenticeship. But once you achieve your apprenticeship, we will increase your salary to the 12 or 13 pounds. And also that's a bit of a drive and an incentive for that individual to complete their apprenticeship and work towards getting their apprenticeship done quicker so they get paid more. But you can set some conditions as well. You could say, listen, if you're on, if from the day you start to six months down the line, if you're on track and you've got everything going, we will increase your salary to 12 or 13 pounds um, as a well done and showing that you're committed to your apprenticeship. So there is that. Um, or you can give, you know, a, a little bit of an increase and then increase it fully once they achieve. So God sake, please do not pay the apprentice wage it is ridiculous. You cannot do that. Um, but what I will say as well is that, you know, you've got to make your apprenticeships attractive. And most providers now, and if there are still providers allowing organizations to pay the apprentice wage, oh, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. But that's all I'm going to say on the apprentice wage. So go back and listen to uh, season one, episode three. So pay a fair wage for an apprentice. That's the key to this, employers. Pay a fair wage. Now, what I will say as well is, um, you know, there is this thing about um, off the job hours and off the job hours have, has been a pain in the rear for some time. I know some providers get annoyed with it. I get annoyed with it. And, you know, these off the job hours has, have scared some people from doing apprenticeships. And I, and I get it. Off the job hours um, is basically getting the apprentices to do extra things they wouldn't necessarily do but will help support them achieve their apprenticeship. So, you know, there's lots of different things from kind of e-learning, attending lectures, job, uh, you know, uh, industry fairs, reading magazines, articles, cross-training, spending time with their tutors, all sorts of things. And I do have a guide that I will share uh, during Apprenticeship Week, so keep an eye out for that. But the funding rules have slightly changed into the off-the-job because before they used to be like, 230 hours to near enough 500 hours or 800 hours for example my apprenticeship is 800 hours worth of you know off the job learning mamma mia it's a lot um and it and it's hard to to keep up with that and i am i am going to be doing a separate bonus episode on the off the job because i want to have a separate conversation on that but the current rules for off the job for um the new funding rules from the 1st of august 2020 three to July 2024 is that apprentices can do uh, six hours per week of off the job learning. Again, that off the job could be one day allocated to their apprenticeship or two half days um, allocated, or it could be uh, an hour a day or, you know, two hours on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, um, or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, depending on what you do, but it could be morning or it could be afternoon. And in that, you know, time, it could be doing, you know, research on their assignments. It could be doing some off the job learning. It could be them reading some articles, watching some videos, um, spending some time cross training with another department, you know, and then from that, they just need to record that they've done that time. They can't go over that six hours a week. Um, but ideally they should be doing it that off the job 
And yes, they can do some of, some of the off the job out of work hours, but please read the funding rules. Has to be agreed. It's not, you know, encouraged because the off the job should be done during working hours. But again, off the job itself isn't as bad as you think it is. You're not going to have to cover people for a day or anything, but we should be allocating time for the individual to do that. And people think, oh my God, six hours, six hours a week. I've got to, I've got to take like a day out for this. Come on, guys. Common sense. Split the time. Half day on a Monday, half day on a Friday. So you'd have two half days doing it. Um, or you could do two hours every other day. Yeah, it will work. If you want more advice and guidance, keep an eye out for the Off The Job podcast coming very shortly as a bonus episode, as well as the guide and guidance that I will provide around that. So yeah, there, there's Off The Job covers lots of things. You just need to manage it correctly. What I will say as well is about the duration of the apprenticeship. As an employer, when you're speaking to providers, they will tell you, oh, the qualifications, you know, 18 months, 24 months, 36 months. It's a long time, right? Are you going to keep someone engaged that long? Possibly, possibly not. Now, there is a little golden nugget here that I'm going to tell you. And some some employers I know will say, how long's my how long's the apprenticeship? Oh, well, it's for it's 12 months. Right. So I'll employ them from this date to this date, 12 months or 18 months. Right. Your apprenticeship starts here and it ends here. So this is when your employment ends. And sometimes you get into tricky waters because you've ended their employment thinking that's when their apprenticeship ends, but actually their apprenticeship hasn't finished. So really you've put them out of a job before even their apprenticeship is finished. So don't do that. Don't employ an apprentice on a fixed term contract. No, don't. That is a big, uh uh-uh. So golden tip, and I love providing this to my apprentices that I work with in the organization I have. Some of them say, oh, 18 months, that's a long time. Can I get it done sooner? Well, guess what? You can. Surprisingly, you can. And most providers don't like me giving this tip out. But yes, there is a rule, an unsung rule. And that is that if all of your learning is done, so that's all your assignments, all your off-the-job learning is completed, your functional skills are completed in maths and English, and you've been on program for 12 months and seven days, and you've completed everything that you need to do as an apprentice, then the gateway is open for the endpoint assessment. So an apprentice can complete their apprenticeship earlier. And that's a great selling technique sometimes for employers to tell the apprentices, yes, it may be 18 months, but you know what? You could get it done in 12 months and seven days if you stick to your days that we give you for your off the job. You commit to doing your assignments, you work on your projects, you do what's required of you, you can get done quicker, but uh, you, but you have to stay on program for that 12 months and seven days regardless. But also be mindful, although you might complete in that 12 months and seven days, or if not, you do the full 18 months, you get into your gateway, your apprentices are doing their own endpoint assessment, just be mindful to add on an extra two to three months. And that, so an 18 months becomes a 21 or 22 month apprenticeship. Well, that's 18 months. You've increased it by, you know, two or three extra months to give a bit of leeway for the endpoint assessment, just in case that they, they um, you know, they have to do a reset of something, um, that there is delay in something, there's sickness, whatever there may be. Just build that into your delivery um, as a kind of fallback, just in case, because you may say to apprentices, okay, yeah, great, you, you're going to get done, but it could be another two, three months um, until you actually officially achieve because you've got your endpoint assessment to do. So just bear that in mind. But yeah, there's no reason why you can't encourage your apprentices to get their apprenticeship done in 12 months and seven days. If you are a fully supportive employer and you're going to help them get to that end goal and make sure you're fully supportive. Check in with your apprentices on a weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, quarterly basis. Check that they're okay. Is there anything that you can help with? Where are they? What are they currently working on? When is their next visit? You know, all of these things you can show support with, and that will really encourage the apprentices to stay motivated, stay on target and achieve their apprenticeship. And will help you with your succession rates as an employer to say, 
we have an 85-95% pass rate on our apprenticeship programs. To be fully supportive. And a great thing about this as well is providers can actually provide training for managers on what apprenticeships are and how to support apprentice or how to support an apprentice if they've never supported one before. So speak to your providers, even reach out to me. I've got some, some material and advice I can, I can provide and, and, and share with you and I can consult you on that as well. But, you know, providing that key training to managers or heads of departments on how to support an apprentice is fundamental because if they know how to support an apprentice, it makes it easier for them and their teams and their apprentices, and it will help motivate and keep that apprentice on track. Now, what I will say as well is that apprenticeships should be part of a career pathway. And that career pathway is key for anything. So for the company I work for, I've built the apprenticeships into a career pathway, coming in from entry level, say doing a level two, moving to a level three, moving to a level four, moving to a level five, and moving to towards a level seven. And that's progressing over the, the duration of the apprenticeships, but in that career development and career pathway in going from an entry level to kind of a senior manager level. So build your apprenticeships into your pathways in your development. Yeah. Build your apprenticeships in via your recruitment process. So listen, if you want to recruit an apprentice, yes, you can do it yourself, but you can reach out to employ or sorry, or providers and they can recruit apprentices for you. They can do all the groundwork. It's free. All you have to do is do the interviews or the assessment days and take the apprentices that you want. Okay. Um, so speak to your training providers about how they can run assessment days for you, how they can recruit for you. You know, they'll do everything for you. So don't stress. There is that option there. But as we kind of wrap up this episode, and I have given quite a lot of information and I hope you're finding it um, of use. But also kind of the things that I will also mention as well and just some procedures or some hit tips and hints extra is one, make sure that you pick the right provider. Because unfortunately, guys, and I know some training providers will listen to this, but some providers are not stable. Some providers will have an Ofsted inspection or a DFE inspection or an ESFA inspection and they could potentially lose their funding and then they close. Um, and we've seen lots of providers disappear during the pandemic. Um, even in 22, 23, we saw quite a few missing. Uh, one of the providers I was working with has just recently disappeared um, at the end of last year, a very short notice. But luckily, I've got backup providers. And you should have more than one provider uh, and a backup provider. So um, if you're delivering apprenticeships for the first time or you're delivering a certain qualification for the first time, what I recommend is that you tender out to providers that offer that qualification. Tell them your expectations, what you require, get them to come and tender for the business. So put a tender proposal out there of what you're wanting, get them to come and present to you, okay? Pick two and give some to one, some to another, and monitor them. Do those time to talks, do those check-ins, Get feedback from the apprentices and the managers. Weigh up who's doing better than the other. Um, if they're equally, if they're equally fine, then maybe you'll split your provision between the two. If you find that one is absolutely useless, great. Then you you know, but you've got a provider that's doing well. And listen, don't put all your eggs in one basket. That's the mo that's the moral of that story. Don't. I've got several providers that I use, and that I've got several providers I can fall back on. So always pick the right provider. Things you want to look at as well is their current Ofsted reports, um, you know, and when you're tendering and having those meetings with them, if there is anything that's been brought up in their Ofsted report, ask them, you know, what have they done since that report to make those improvements? And they should be able to tell you or even show you. Also, as I say, just make sure you trial them and get that feedback. Also, if the provider sounds too good to be true, it may not be right for you. Now, I say that because I've had providers come to me and say, listen, we can offer you all this amazing stuff. And then when it comes to it, they can't. It was just a sales pitch and muggins brought into it. So as the old saying goes, if it's too good to be true, this is not for you. 
you know, and I've had providers that have said, well, if you give me X amount of apprentices as an incentive, I can give you 10% back per apprentice. They're not allowed. If a provider is offering you an incentive to give them apprentices, steer clear, report them to the SFA. They're not allowed to do that. So just be wary. And then also, if, you know, you're, you're going to use providers, don't let your provider just be another provider and supplier. Build a partnership with them. You know, it's a partnership. It's not, oh, you know, they're our, you know, that's our provider. They're our client. Happy days. Build that partnership. And partnership is key. Okay. And if you've got more than one provider, what you might want to do is, um, you know, a kind of best practice session or a provider get together every quarter or every six months where you pull your providers in together, you share best practice and you look at what's kind of happening. If there's any struggles that the, that the providers are facing, um, you know, because some might be facing some that others aren't, or they might be facing with the same problem. You can hatch out uh, an improvement plan or action plan to eradicate those issues. You can provide feedback from time to talks, um, you know, and it, and it's all beneficial. And I've done it before and it's worked really, really well. So I do recommend it. But also if you have got providers, like several providers with within your uh, delivery for apprenticeship programs, have them all fly under one one label. Hence the partnership. They're all on. They're you know for me they're all you know Omni who I work with. All our training providers fly under the Omni brand. You know yes they work for Learning Curve. Yes they work for Spiro. Yes they work for GLP. You know but they're all known as working for Omni. But also. What you've got to think about as well is tutors. And this is a golden rule I always have with my providers. If I have any tutors, they must do a tutor induction. For me, the tutor inductions are done online. And I expect every tutor to have completed the Omni induction. Um, and that gives them information about the company, what our expectations are, what support is in place for them, what to do if there is any grumbles, concerns, issues, any documents that they may need access to, like their health and safety policy, environmental policy, company handbook, any essential user guides, um, anything like that, we give them access to. So they have it, they feel comfortable, they feel part of the team, part of the company. That's the best way to do it. Now, this is quite a, a long episode, so I'm going to wrap it up. But the last thing I'm going to say is think about, you know, we spoke about tailoring your apprenticeships, beef up your apprenticeships. Add some extra add-ons, you know, add things like high field qualifications, uh, strength scope, uh, bespoke those qualifications. And I do that with my, with my qualifications within the apprenticeships that I deliver with my organization. We add, uh, we're a high fields approved training center, which I'm quite proud of. So we add in the high fields health and safety qualifications, the health and safety and mental health first aid. But also I'm a master strength scope practitioner and I embed strength scope within our apprenticeships. And if you want to know how you can use a uh, strength scope within apprenticeships, because um, it works so amazingly well, reach out to me at pete at creativemind.zone. Now, I'm going to wrap up the episode there. I hope you found this episode useful. I know it's been a bit long, um, but tomorrow is apprentice, uh, or I should say tomorrow being Wednesday is apprentice day. So stay tuned as tomorrow we will look at providing some advice and guidance for apprentices in regards to apprenticeships. So again, thank you for listening. Um, I hope this episode has been useful to employers to give you a little bit more of an insight into it and in what employers need to kind of know and can help them. But remember, today is about celebrating, you know, why apprentices should come and work for you and why they should be doing your apprentices or your apprenticeships that you're offering. And there are some amazing employees out there that offer amazing apprenticeships. So good on you all. Now, you can always go back and listen to previous episodes of the Say As It Is With Pete podcast series, as well as some of the bonus episodes that I've done via Apple Music, Amazon, Spotify, podcast, YouTube, um, and wherever you get your podcasts from. So enjoy the rest of um, as Employer Tuesday for National Friendship Week. Remember the hashtags 
hashtag National Friendship Week 2024 and hashtag Skills for Life. And I will catch you on tomorrow's episode.